live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. To the plate, and he hits a high fly ball towards left center field. Bader going back. Bader to the wall. Put some muscle into that thing. A two-run homer, Eddie Rosario. And it's 2-0 Braves. Homer number 18 for Eddie. And Marcel and Eddie strike quickly with a double and a homer. And that's the way the Braves seemingly do it, night in and night out. And last night, that's all they needed in a 2-0 whitewashing of the punchless New York Yankees completing a three-game sweep at Truist Field over the pinstripers. Welcome to Hour 2, final hour of a Thursday sports huddle. And we're going to lead it off Tuckins Braves baseball this afternoon. They have the day off. They have the night off this evening, but an opportunity for us to talk a little bit about how great they have been all year long. Wiley Ballard joins us from the Braves Radio Network. You heard that call last night from the Braves Radio Network and right here on 1061 ESPN. Wiley, if ever a team could enjoy a day off, a Thursday off in mid-August, I would imagine it's the Atlanta Braves, right? Without a question. And, you know, to be honest with you, they've earned it. They had a four-game series in three days up in New York. Uh, On top of that, they had a four-game series in Pittsburgh before then. Uh, and then finally uh, came home for three games. Didn't get the off day after playing Sunday night baseball, so they had a late flight home on Sunday night and still took care of business uh, against the Yankees. So, no, they've earned it, um, you know. And, and, look, I know home runs are a big part of what they do. Uh, I think some people say that might be a bad thing come postseason time. But for me, I, you've got pop one through nine. It's not like it's two or three guys that are accounting uh, for the lion's share of these home runs. Eddie Rosario last night, the perfect example. You get the two-run blast, and, you know, it might have been, as you said, against the punchless offense in the Yankees, but Charlie Morton dealt. Wiley, I've been asking this question a lot of late to either guests or just rhetorically to myself, uh, and you said one through nine. I would argue it's more than one through nine. How do the Braves <laughs> – Keep doing this. I mean, you play that doubleheader. You alluded to that in New York. So you bring up an extra guy because Major League Baseball lets you do it. Alan Winans comes up and, you know, throws a gem of a game. His ERA is like 1.5 or 1.6. Didn't need much support in a 21-3 game, certainly. Um, But he gets the job done. Then this guy, Nicky Lopez, comes out of nowhere, almost literally from Kansas City, comes out of nowhere. Can any baseball player have been happier than him to go from the Royals to the Braves? How do the Braves keep doing this and just putting guys in positions and they help them win games? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, Nicky Lopez said it himself earlier this week. It's kind of contagious. You know, you, you arrive at the ballpark. Uh, the culture's terrific. There's been a lot of winning going on, so everyone's in a pretty good mood. A lot of these guys are committed for the long haul, so there's not a lot of distractions about who might be going where at the trade deadline or who might be signing somewhere else come this off season. And I think that continuity, again, led by Brian Snitker, who's been in the organization for 40 years, I, I think really has a positive impact on what happens on the field. And look, in the case of Alan Winans, I mean, first off, how about doing that against his former organization? I mean, he signed with the Mets uh, out of Campbell University down in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Uh, doesn't have overwhelming stuff, but 
uh, wasn't on the 40-man roster. Braves picked him up in the Rule 5 draft and, and the minor league phase of it. And he, lo and behold, goes seven scoreless uh, at City Field, the ballpark he was hoping that he might uh, call home one day. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of it's cultural. And then, to be, and then the other piece, I mean, I think is a big part of it is the player development. I, I think the staff they have uh, down at Gwinnett, down in Mississippi, all the roving uh, instructors that bounce up and down through Rome and Augusta, the player development, to me, is one of the secret sauces of this organization because, you know, Michael Harris, he's a third-round pick. People were excited about him. But, you know, I'm not sure if he becomes uh, what he's become if he's not in the Braves organization. I think you could say the same uh, for a guy like Spencer Strider, um, a guy who was a fourth-round pick, Bryce Selder, a fifth-round pick in 2020. And, you know, some of that is, is great scouting, of course, on the amateur side, but it's also development. And the way I would describe it is, is you look at all the, all the different parts, pieces, arms, and legs of a major league organization, and it seems like the Braves are all moving in unison, and that's a credit to the leadership, Alex Anthopoulos, Ryan Snitker, uh, Derek Schiller, Terry McGurk. It just, it's a well-oiled machine right now that looks like a freight train to anybody who tries to step in front of them. Absolutely. Uh, Brian Snickers still a favorite here in Richmond. He spent some of those 40 years right here in Richmond with the old Richmond Braves of the International League uh, before they departed for Gwinnett, as you just mm-hmm. mentioned. So how does Brian Snicker kind of manage his team? Not the games. You manage every game to win. But how does he manage this team, this roster, uh, Wiley, in the last 50 games? We know they're going to win the East. We also know that October is the goal that is out there. you still got three guys that have played every game. Ozzie Albies would have been the fourth until he got hurt, went on the I.L. But Olsen, Riley, Acuna have played every game. How does he kind of manage these last 50 games to keep guys going but obviously make sure they have their eye on the big prize? Without a doubt. And like you touched on it, it's really it's the battle of, you know, is, does rest become rust? You know, trying, trying to you know, balance those, those two parts of it. But you know, I look at what this, what this organization has done the last couple of seasons. Now, I mean, the difference, of course, in 2021 and 2022 is you weren't coasting your way uh, into a division title. But as far as the everyday guys, I don't think they're going to take them out of the lineup too much. You know, maybe if you get in a lopsided game, you get a chance to take Matt or Austin off their feet the last couple of innings. But, you know, the culture of, of this group, and like we said, it's led them to so much success. Dansby Swanson playing every game up until the last one last year. Uh, Freddie Freeman uh, playing every game uh, the last couple of seasons with the Braves. It's just it's so ingrained in who they are and what they do, and they can kind of point to the success they've had the last five years, including the World Series championship, and saying, you know, that's, that, that's our foaming. That's who we are. We're not going to try and be something we're not. Now, on the pitching side, I think there's there's much more of a conversation there. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen it with Max Fried. A few of his starts, he probably could have gone a little deeper, but they're being cautious, making sure he comes back fully healthy. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they take advantage, if, if they need to, um, you know, I'll put it this way. I don't think they're going to be cutting any, anybody out of the rotation in a turn if there's an off day somewhere. I think everyone's going to take that extra day of rest, especially with guys like Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder who are going to get to an inning threshold that they haven't been before. So, you know, to me, I've been saying this the last couple of months because it's just looked like the division is so well in hand that the bullpen is, is what you got to look out for. Got to make sure those guys are rested. They were a massive part of that 2021 World Series championship, and therefore I think you're looking for length out of some starters who may not get a start in the postseason. You know, I don't know if Bryce Elder's going to get a start in the postseason. I know Charlie Morton was great last night. Uh, I'm pretty confident he will. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I know Yanni Chirinos hasn't been great, but if he can – Take the ball every five days and give you five innings. You know, even if it's giving up four or five runs, that's value to this team right now because it's 
fewer innings the bullpen has to go. So yeah, I think more than anything, they're going to ask for length from their starters, especially guys in the back end to help out their bullpen. Wiley, who's the MVP of this team? Because I think your answer to that question might also answer the question, who's the MVP of the National League? <laughs> you know, it's it's a question that seemed a lot simpler about a month and a half ago before Matt Olson went, you know, absolutely bazookas. Uh, he's <laughs> at 25 home runs in his last 50 games. That's the first time a major league player has ever done that. Um, so, so Matt Olson's working himself into the conversation. It's hard to beat out Ronald Acuna and, and what he's done. Um, you know, with the, with the amount of stolen bases, the home run, I mean, the speed power threat is close to unprecedented. you got to go back to Eric Davis you know, in the late 80s to really find a guy uh, who was putting up these kind of numbers. So I, I still think Acuna's going to win it for the league MVP. I, he's got so much momentum. I was actually reading a piece uh, yesterday talking about how it's hard to unseat the midseason favorite because there's so much momentum from a voting standpoint as far as who's going to win it. So I still think it's going to be Acuna. I'll, I'll nominate a third guy, though, to be honest with you. I, Sean Murphy, I know he's cooled off a little bit, but considering the amount of injuries to this pitching rotation for a group that still ranks near the top of the National League and ERA for a guy in his first year with the organization, uh, he's been huge for the Braves in my mind. So I think Sean Murphy deserves some credit uh, for navigating some of those injuries on the, on the pitching side. And one of nine guys with uh, double-digit home runs <laughs> for the Homer, yeah, the Homer happy uh, Atlanta Braves. Do you think there's a, like a, a quiet sense of satisfaction amongst the Braves brass that Olson is doing what he's done, considering the heat, the criticism? They kind of talk when they let Freddie Freeman go, and the face of the franchise was leaving Atlanta and went to L.A. and is doing extremely well there. Just a sense of satisfaction that, you know, maybe you'll never fill Freddie Freeman's shoes entirely, but Matt Olson is pretty darn solid. He is. And on the topic of Freddie Freeman, I feel confident that one day at Truist Park they're going to have that number five in the rafters, and I'm not convinced he hasn't played his, his final game as an Atlanta Brave. We'll see what things look like at the end of the contract. I could see him... You know, making maybe a, a, a you know one more year return, kind of like what Brian McCann did at the end of his career. Um, on the topic of Matt Olson, though, in the front office, I mean, I, look, I, I don't think anybody in that room is going to be upset if you had either Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson starting at first base uh, for the Braves in 2022 and 23. Uh, I think Freddie Freeman's having a spectacular year. He might be the third member of that of that MVP race mm-hmm. along with Olson and Acuna. Um, but no, I think there's, there's probably some validation just from a standpoint of they evaluated Matt Olson thinking he could be one of the top first basemen in baseball. And to be fair, he was already on his way in Oakland. But, no, I think, I think they feel that, that they are satisfied that they found a way to replace Freddie Freeman, which felt like an impossible task when he was walking out the door. So mm-hmm. I think they take a lot of uh, a pride in that. But I'm, I'm sure they wish uh, all the best to Freddie, uh, especially uh, you know, for the next couple of weeks until the Braves head out to L.A. and Chavez Ravine uh, on Labor Day weekend and, you know, I, I'll be honest, it's, this smells like a Dodgers-Braves NLCS to me, especially the way the Dodgers have been playing these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. That'll be a big one, certainly. And I wonder, as we finish up with you, uh, Wiley, this weekend, coming to town, you've got San Francisco, that maybe there's there's a little bit more buzz about it. Uh, the Giants are obviously battling for a playoff spot in the wild card and potentially could be a Braves opponent down the road. Yeah, I think there'll be some juice to it. I, I know for San Francisco, offensively, they've been so inconsistent. So for me, I'm, I'm curious to see uh, if this hot run of Braves starting pitching can continue because, I mean, a week ago at this time, there was a lot of hand-wringing about the Braves starting rotation, but you look at what they did in New York outside of Yanni Torino's start. They were spectacular, didn't give up a run. And then here in this Yankees series, they've gotten some really solid starts as well. So, um, yeah, I think I think 
like you said, if you're a Braves fan right now, yeah, you're sizing up the rest of the National League trying to see, you know, where I might see these guys in the first round, might see these guys in the LCS. I mean, that's part of the fun of having this big lead right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been fun, no doubt about it. As we said, I'm sure they've enjoyed their day off today and they get back at it tomorrow night against the Giants. Wiley, thanks for checking in with us. I'm sure we'll be doing it again as we get towards the end of the regular season and then into the important month of October. Yeah, my pleasure. Here, here's to hope that we've got a phone call set up in November as well for the, the yeah. end of the World Series. <laughs> there you go. There, and, hey, you've got uh, you've got some Georgia Tech duties too, don't you? I do, I do. I'll be, I'll be around the flats here and there. I'm a love. I've been helping on the radio network for uh, for a good long while now. Um, I, I actually won't be in that sideline position I was in in the past, but I'll also be covering the team. All right. Well, we'll talk some ACC footballs while we know it's not, you know, Count on the, it. <laughs> the prognostications are not great at the start of the year, but we'll see as, as the season moves along. Wiley, thanks again for everything today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Have back anytime. Wiley Ballard for the Braves Radio Network down there in Atlanta. And again, off tonight, back at it against the Giants tomorrow night. Uh, 7.05 will be our airtime and 7.20. Spencer Strider on the mound tomorrow night for the Atlanta Braves, looking for his 14th win of the season. 7.05 airtime, 7.20 first pitch time against the Giants. And I'll tell you what, as a Phillies fan, I'm probably rooting for the Braves this weekend. The Giants are the closest competitor to the Phils in the wild card race. That That's tough for me to say right there. I think there might be some people listening out there who aren't too happy with me saying that I'm rooting for the Braves and not the Giants this weekend. But it's all about being in a good position come red October again this year. How about that? All right, uh, let's get you going for the last 45 minutes of the Thursday Sports Huddle. These are this afternoon's top sports stories. I'm sure he'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell. This is today's Drive Home Headlines. Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not confident in your heating and cooling provider, switch to James River Air. You can save up to 30% online. More information and details available for you at jamesriverair.com. Dot com. Uh, Nationals and Red Sox are 1-1, top half of the fifth inning at Nats Park this afternoon. One of a couple of uh, day games today in Major League Baseball, and there's only a handful of games in total today. The other one has gone final. The Mariners came back and beat the Royals 6-4, to so that's a big-time win for Seattle to stay in the hunt over there in the American League wild card race. We had, that was kind of the reverse jinx when I said they can't lose a game to the lowly Royals, and they were losing at that point, I think, 4-2 to two or 4-3, to three, and they came back and won at 6-4 to four this afternoon. The only other big league games today, Detroit at Cleveland, the Mets are at St. Louis, uh, Arizona at San Diego. That's an important West Series out there, as is the Brewers and Dodgers, uh, and L.A. now with a 10 game winning streak and running away with the west nba schedule came out we've been talking about that a little bit this afternoon opening day christmas martin luther king uh, day all the games they've got and the in-season tournament as well in the nba so their schedule is out commanders with a day off today they'll work over the weekend and get ready for the monday night exhibition game against the baltimore ravens that is at FedEx field uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour Jerry Radcliffe joins us Jerry Radcliffe.com we'll talk some Virginia Cavalier football well I mentioned it with uh, Wiley that the uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets are not picked particularly high in the ACC preseason poll but they're certainly higher than those Virginia Cavaliers Tech was preseason 12 
Virginia last at number 14. Uh, we'll check in on the Cavaliers and how Tony Elliott's bunch is prepping for the season. Uh, he joins us, Jerry does, at 5.30 this afternoon. Uh, good time to get on the air with us. Caesar. give us a call back if you'd like, and any others, 804-327-0888. On a uh, sunsplashed Thursday afternoon, the Sports Huddle continues after a timeout on 106.1 ESPN. This Sunday, Major League Baseball's Lily Classic returns. The beauty of this event, every person in the stands is a kid. That's what Williamsport is all about. The Phillies and Nationals at the Lily Classic. It brings out your inner 12-year-old. Coverage begins Sunday at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. Right about 20 after 5, Thursday afternoon. Last one for me for a little while with the sports huddle. Just making sure you all know that as we move forward. You'll get some ESPN programming in the late afternoons for the next few days. Matt's here. Matt will be on uh, 3 to 4 with Border to Border. Uh, but out tomorrow, as I mentioned, kind of the old busman's holiday. Going to go up to Nats Park. Uh, see the Nats and Phils tomorrow night. As I said, that's uh, first of a two-game series at Nats Park. And then the third game in Williamsport, the Little League Classic with the World Series going on. That's always neat. And the those little leaguers get an opportunity to go see uh, a major league game up there. So that, that's pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, no show for me tomorrow. And then off Monday and Tuesday as well, just kind of a little rest-up time to get ready for the college football season, which will be within two weeks at that point. Uh, I'll be back here Saturday because I'm going to the Richmond scrimmage on Saturday morning at Robin Stadium. And I've been, like I've been saying, very encouraged by what I've seen from the young quarterback, Kyle Wickersham, the redshirt sophomore, who's running the offense and the skilled guys, a couple of transfers involved and some veterans at running back and wide receiver. And we think the spider defense should be pretty lock solid. Uh, Shutdown defense uh, should be the strong suit of the spider. So looking forward to seeing them out there on Saturday with that scrimmage, which will be two weeks from opening day opening night in this case against morgan state on the second uh when most of our our teams around the commonwealth will be opening the spiders uh six o'clock right here on 1061 espn with a 5 30 airtime um prior to the morgan state game and then they go from that to michigan state on the road the next week uh, out of the big 10 not expect to have a great year but it's still it's a big 10 team and it's michigan state uh, and that's something a little different for the Spiders. They they love to play that FBS game every year, but it's normally much more regionalized than that. And more often than not, it's an ACC team, whether it's Virginia or Virginia Tech or Duke. The Spiders had some success um, against against the Blue Devils, and then um, you know so they've played they've played some ACC teams along the way. So this one's going a little bit. A little bit outside the box for the Spiders, but that'll be fun. There's certainly a place I've never been and looking forward um, to that one. Uh, all right, um, uh, Robert, I didn't hear you there. I know it sounds like we got a caller. Is that correct? 523. That is correct. We've got Reggie on the phone. Oh, Reggie. That uh, How could I not hear you say Reggie? Hello, Reggie. How are you? You know, Bob, I know the heat has been extremely we say hot in the last couple of days, but Bruce, stop being delirious. <laughs> I, I was fine, but I said he must be walking around with no hat on or something. Because I said 
Give him two or three days, and he'll say something delirious and ridiculous. I, I just, I said, wait until this Philly situation comes up, and just like clockwork, delirious pops up again. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Today and, and is the day that we should have. Today is the day we should have had you and him on at the same time because you would have brought him down. It's been a waste of time. (laughs) You would have brought him down so fast, Reggie. Even I gave it a shot, right? Even when he said that about the Sixers, I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, come on, Bruce. Even the most (laughs) optimistic person can't be saying that stuff. Right. Oh, hey, I tell you what, if he wants to put some money on it with Vegas, Vegas, we have to take his money. Yes. Go right ahead, Bruce. They'll buy some nicer <laughs> chandeliers off of his money. Probably. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know sir. where he's I don't know where he was coming from with that one, Reggie, on the Sixers. Yeah, well just just let Bruce talk. He'll sink himself. Don't worry. Yeah. This time next year he'll come up with another delirious statement. But you know, Bob um, dear friend of mine, you, we talked about the uh, Patrick Henry um, Hall of Fame coming up and Damian Woody and a plus other people yep. being the first class. Yep. But I got bad news this past week. A dear friend of mine, Nathan Fairley, who was a running back for um, Patrick Henry High School, passed away at 65 last week. He was oh, a, wow. a running back for Virginia University. But get this now, his son, Nathan Jr., played a couple years at University of Richmond. On the football team, maybe that's and how I know the name. To Elizabeth City. Yeah, when you said yeah. that, I I kind of recognized the name a little bit there. So I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm yeah. just hoping that down the road, because I believe he was all Colonial District. I'm gonna mention All State back in the '70s when he played with from Patrick Henry. So uh-huh. I'm hoping that maybe you know the people down. I'm not expecting to get in right now, but if they look at Nathan Farley's record, I think he's more than, um, should we say, honorable to mm-hmm. be at least considered to go into the Patriot Hall of Fame. Well, I imagine there's a way for you to make that nomination. Uh, I'm looking at the email that I had gotten about it right now, and it doesn't say anything about that, but I'll bet you we could get you some info on how you can submit nominees uh, for their Hall of Fame moving forward. I think that would be a great great gesture yeah. on your part, Reggie. Yeah, please do, because like I said, he's a heck of a guy, a good friend, and back in the day, and like I said, his son did play at Richmond for a stint. So, you know, he was definitely a fun to a guy playing under the coach, um, Willa Bailey, the all-time winning coach in the CIAA. So we just kind of send prayers out to he and his family. And Ray Tate was crazy about his son. <laughs> and Ray Tate is one yeah. of those going into that first class of the uh, Patrick yeah. Henry Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, I was Coach Cousin. I know Coach got me up there. He said, Reggie, we got you, boy. We got you. When yeah. Richmond went down to Hampton and took care of business in the playoffs, I said, okay, Coach, leave me alone, Coach. You got me, you got me. What you got to say now, Reggie? What you got to say now? I said, Coach, I give up. You got me. No question, Reggie. No question, Reggie. That's what he always used to say to me, right? No question, Bob. No question, Bob. No matter what I said, that was Ray Tate's response. I could have said, Ray, two and two equals five today. And Ray would have gone, no question, Bob. <laughs> great man. He put was a, a bonnet great... on it. Put a bonnet yeah. on it. Put a bonnet. Yeah, that's it. And pin his ears back. Put a bonnet yeah, on sir, it. Dude. Good stuff. Good yeah, stuff. That's a good man. That's my main man, Coach Ray Tate. Good Absolutely. man. Good man. All right. You're the man, Reggie. Thank you for checking in, and uh, let's catch up next week.
Yes, and tell Bruce no more. We don't want to no hear more. it. No more. I'm with he you on that one. Into next year into basketball season. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> he went. He went way overboard on that one. Way way overboard. All right, Reg. Thanks. Uh, and, yeah, that uh, Patrick Henry Hall of Fame, this is their first-ever class. It's Thursday, September 28th. The ceremony's up there at the Hanover Golf Club in Ashland. The uh, general public is invited. Uh, tickets are 35 bucks. They'll go on sale in about 10 days on August 28th. And amongst the inductees, we mentioned Ray Tate. Uh, Eddie Webb is going in, the uh, former director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Ray Long, who was longtime uh, wildly successful successful football coach really put patrick henry on the map from a football standpoint damian woody is the other headliner now come on of espn fame at this point so we're gonna try and get him on at some point before they have the induction ceremony uh in late september so gonna be a lot of fun there and congrats to patrick henry ross luck our guy spider ross ross luck up there and ashland and luck chevrolet uh he along with our buddy rob with him kind of spearheading uh the inaugural class and the start of the patrick henry high school athletic hall of fame tip of the cap to them all right back in a moment another hall of famer jerry ratcliffe in the virginia sports hall of fame covering the virginia cavaliers and we'll get an update on preseason practice and prognostication for the cavaliers in year two of the tony elliott regime jerry ratcliffe next on the sports huddle Braves will keep us in mind. Follow the Atlanta Braves as they battle for a sixth straight division crown here on 1061 ESPN Richmond. Welcome back. Bob Black back with you here on the Sports Huddle Thursday afternoon. Let's talk a little more football. This time, let's talk some college football. Let's talk some UVA Cavalier football. No better to do that with than the Hall of Famer himself, Jerry Ratcliffe. JerryRatcliffe.com joins us as we'll break down the Cavaliers as they inch closer to their season opener against the Tennessee Volunteers. Hello, Jerry. How are you? Doing great, Bob. How are you? Doing really well, thanks. Appreciate it. Love talking some football. I imagine at some point I'll get into the somewhat boring discussion again of conference realignment and all of that that has dominated a lot of our talk of, of late. But uh, let's let's start on the field. And I'll tell you what, if you go to jerryradcliffe.com, and I certainly urge you to do so, and I mentioned this to the audience when I was telling them you were coming on today, the stories you've got just on page one are going to take up this whole segment, I think, for us, Jerry. So great <laughs> job with kind of the different, different slides of Virginia football and athletics that are on your front page. And I would I would start here because I think we all heard the word from Tony Elliott when he was talking about his quarterbacks, and he used the term pushing when he said that the freshman Anthony Col- Calandria, am I pronouncing that right, Calandria? Calandria. Is, uh, Calandria is pushing Tony Musket, the veteran college quarterback. Now, not at the FBS level, the FCS level at Monmouth. Um, surprising to hear that, or was it a coach kind of throwing that out there to maybe entice his guys a little more? What do you think? Probably both, Bob, I think. Uh, yeah, we were surprised. I think all the media was taken aback a little bit by that because – you certainly don't expect a guy who is a true freshman to come in and, and push a veteran right off the bat. But uh, And we weren't sure what to make of that. Does, does that mean that Calandria is overachieving and better than everybody thought? Because he wasn't really highly recruited, mostly um, sort of a group of five and less schools. I think he only had one other uh, Power Five offer. 
And um, so does that mean he's overachieving, or does that mean that Tony Musket is underachieving and letting a freshman come in and steal some of his thunder? And uh, we don't really know for sure because Tony didn't uh, really expand on that very much. But uh, I did ask him, I said, you know, what? what is it about this kid? He's not very big. He's 5'11". Uh, he wasn't highly recruited. What? What is it? And he said, well, he comes from a hotbed of college football, of high school football recruiting down in St. Pete. Um, he has an elite arm, and he has a lot of moxie. Still, you know, you expect Musket, who's started for three or four years and has over 7,000 yards passing in, I think, five five actually 5,000 yards passing in his career, um, would be able to fight off that kind of competition. And I think he probably was a little bit, uh, maybe not totally happy with what Musket has delivered so far in training camp and probably did use that as sort of an incentive to get a little bit more out of him over the next couple of weeks. And look, Jerry, either way, opening day is going to be a daunting task against Tennessee, for for sure. Having said that, though, it'd just be hard to imagine putting a true freshman into that game, that situation, that environment to start his collegiate career. I I can't imagine that, Bob, because they're walking into a lion's den down there in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're 28-point underdogs, and most people think that's too little. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, they're going to be facing one of the most dynamic offenses in the country. They, I think they were the best offense in the country last year, and they got a, uh, a phenomenal freshman quarterback themselves who supposedly has the strongest arm that anybody's ever seen. Hmm. And, you know, we're still not sure if Virginia's offense can produce points, and that's what put a, a very good defense in such a bind last year because they couldn't move the football. Hey, uh, on the on the defensive side, Jerry, what are you hearing any more on on Chico Bennett? I know that really threw Virginia's coaches and team for for a loop there with the injury that he sustained. What I guess on Monday, right? Uh, I, I actually at the scrimmage on Saturday, but we um, we haven't heard any updates, and we may hear something at today's practice. They're finishing up here in about half an hour. But, um, yeah, that did throw things for a loop because he was the leader of this defense. He led the team in sacks last year with seven, the most since anybody, since 2019 when Jordan Mack had seven and a half. Uh, but, yeah, he was an, uh, he's an experienced guy. He has over 2,000 college snaps to his credit. And I mean, you're not going to find a lot of guys like that out there. Mm-hmm. And he certainly was a guy that the rest of that defense rallied around. Now they – they're, you know, they're going to have to plug some holes and maybe move some guys around and get them ready, whether he's out two weeks or two months or, or more. So that does cause a problem for a defense that is the strength of this football team. Mm-hmm. So having talked about all of that, about the kind of conundrum at quarterback and the inexperience and Bennett being out, nonetheless, Tony Elliott's quote, and again, you have it on jerryratcliffe.com, we're a lot further along at this time than we were a year ago. Not necessarily a surprise because last year was year one and they were all getting their feet wet. But what do you think Tony Elliott is seeing that leads him to believe and make a statement like we're a lot further along this year? I think a lot more cohesiveness, a lot more 
fluidity. They're uh, a lot more understanding of what they're trying to do. Last year, uh, Tony's a meticulous note taker, and so he goes back and he compares what was going on at this time last year. And uh, last year they were having to stop practice all the time because of uh, mental errors, penalties, uh, guys getting in fights on the field, just a a myriad of, of issues. And plus they were in class. For much of training camp last year, this year they're not in class at all. It ended early. So he has more time to spend with them, more time to teach, uh, not only out on the field but in the classroom. And a lot of these guys have been in the system for a year. They understand it a lot more than they did a year ago. And I think a lot of these guys have bought in, where some of those guys last year just never seemed to do that. And that's caused all kinds of problems as we saw on the field in games and uh, led to uh, an abysmal record and uh, kind of put them in a bind for the future because some of the better players that they had and could have come back chose to go to the transfer portal. So, um, you know, even even as things are more fluid, they, they, they're having to do a lot of teaching on offense and not so much on defense because they had eight starters returning and some other guys with starting experience. But, um, you know, it's it's still a, a major work in progress, Bob. Yeah, sorry, I think we may have gotten uh, disconnected there. That was on me for just a moment. I hit a button there. Uh, so I apologize for not quite getting the end of uh, the end of your answer. And I imagine oh, you didn't okay. hit- and I imagine you didn't hear my next question, uh, so let, nope. let me re- let me rephrase that one, and uh, and we'll we'll move from there. Uh, so a reasonable expectation for Virginia at the start of the year, if you were to look into your kind of crystal ball there, Jerry. We talked about Tennessee, you know, not in Knoxville and Nashville, but home game nonetheless, nationally ranked team. Uh, JMU home opener for Virginia, but the Dukes picked to win the Sun Belt, the East and the Sun Belt. Great year last season, their first at the FBS level. Old ACC rivalry with Maryland comes up next, uh, and then the conference opener against NC State. Wow. Uh... I don't know that they'll be favored in any of those games, Bob. Mm. And the fact that um, I think Las Vegas, you know, when they put the over-under on every team in the country's win-and-loss record, I think they had Virginia three-and-a-half, which means if if you take that bet, they've got to win four games. And most people don't see four wins on the schedule unless something occurs that nobody sees coming. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, that uh, Tony Musket's going to have to be fabulous. I know he has a big chip on his shoulder and wants to prove that he can succeed at this level or that the offensive line gels tremendously, uh, something that's a huge, huge question mark. I think they do have a good stable of running backs, but that doesn't do you any good if you can't block for them. And so uh, all eyes are on that offense because they – you know, they averaged 17 points a game last year, and you're not going to win in modern football scoring 17 points a game. We saw what happened last year when they couldn't hit beyond that number. So um, three and a half is, is going to be a stretch if somebody wants to take that bet. <laughs> you, you talk to Virginia fans, and, and you know, I, I mean, I know there's some really optimistic people who are maybe not be realistic, but – they think there's, you know, they're going to win five or six games and go to a bowl. But I think most of the fans out there realize that getting 
three wins is going to be really hard when you look at the mm. schedule. I mean, who are you going to beat? Uh, they may be favored at JMU because they're at home. Um, but, you know, JMU beat some pretty good football teams last yeah. year, and I know they have some new personnel too, but that's going to be hard to overcome because it's going to be – I think it's going to be a more meaningful battle for JMU in the fact that they're trying to prove a point that they're the best team in the state. There will be some emotional advantage for Virginia in that game because I know they're going to celebrate the lives of the three slain football players from last November, that being the first home game. So uh, that could carry Virginia to some degree in that game. Mm-hmm. But then you got Maryland and NC State, and there's no way Virginia will be favored in either one of those games. No, absolutely not. Uh, all right, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that. It'll be tough for Virginia fans to kind of embrace embrace what's happening there, but you got to be patient. But still, that that you're right. That's that's not an easy thing to do when you're seeing prognostications of of three three and a half wins during the season. Hey, let let me finish up with you. I know practice is coming to a close, and you've got some things to get to. But on that expansion front, keep that crystal ball handy there, uh, Jerry. It doesn't look like things are going to work out. Stanford, Cal, SMU. Although anything subject to change, what do you think the ACC does next? Uh, what do they do to stay competitive, to be at least number three in all of this, and close that financial gap a little bit um, with the Big Ten and SEC? Well, I think something's going to shake loose in the next twenty-four hours, Bob. We huh. we heard a report from a writer uh, who probably knows the Pac-12 better than anybody, and he says that. Uh, something's going to happen in terms of at least Stanford, if not Stanford, Cal, and SMU huh. um, over the next 24 hours that the ACC may be reconsidering. Uh, I know there's, they're getting a lot of pressure from outside. I know former President George Bush and Condoleezza, yeah, Condoleezza Rice, Rice yep. Yep. Uh, both uh, were making some calls. Who knows who else is, but... Um, in order for that to happen, then NC State or North Carolina one is going to have to uh, break away from that uh, group of four that were hard nosed last week. Um, but it sounds like something's going to happen mm-hmm. one way or the other, definitively, within the next 24 hours. So we're going to keep our uh, head to, the, <laughs> to the, our ear to the, all the grapevines and see what we can find out. But uh, if that doesn't happen, I just I don't I can't see any other expansion because I don't know who else is out there unless they want to leave another established conference and come to Virginia or to the ACC. And uh, right now, I don't see that happening. No, one of the the things I saw out there was Potan. You mentioned Stanford in and of itself in in one breath there before adding Cal and SMU. That Stanford might actually have the wherewithal to go independent and football and take the rest of its programs to some lesser conference like the Mountain West. Um, could that even be a possibility? I think it could. I, th- I know that's been floated out there by a lot of people. And, you know, they hired Pac-12 hired Oliver Luck to mm-hmm. solve the problem that they've got. And I, I think that's one of the things that I don't know if he proposed it, but somebody did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that's been talked about along with uh, a merger of the Mountain West. There's also a lot of talk about a merger with the AAC, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which would make them a 20-team conference. <laughs> wow! And uh, <laughs> and would it, it would actually double the 
the uh, t- TV revenue that the AAC currently has just by joining the Pac-4. Uh, so I, there's all kinds of things in the wind. <laughs> it, it's awfully hard to figure out exactly which direction this thing could go in, but I think something's going to happen within the next week, if not over the weekend. And uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what is going to happen? <laughs> For sure, it's crazy well, out there. <laughs> appreciate that tip, there, Jerry. We'll keep our eyes and ears on all of that over the next uh, whatever forty-eight to seventy-two hours. All right, go back to Virginia football. Uh, that's more fun anyway. And thanks for spending some time with us. I look forward to catching up with you as we get close to the start of the season and throughout the season. Always love talking to you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Back at you, Jerry Ratcliffe, jerryratcliffe.com, the Hall of Fame sports writer. I've been covering the Cavaliers for like four decades out there in Charlottesville and has probably never seen a landscape that looks like this one in the ACC or throughout college athletics. We certainly haven't. All right, one more segment to wrap it up. We'll do that after a timeout, and we'll finish up the sports huddle for this Thursday afternoon next on 1061 ESPN. Braves are rolling with their sights set on a sixth straight division title and their second championship in three years. Catch the action here on 1061 ESPN Richmond, your home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. All right, winding it down, literally and figuratively winding it down, at least uh, for me. Uh, going to recharge those batteries over a long weekend. A little big league ball tomorrow. Hey, the Nationals are going to be hot, it seems, when the Phils come to town tomorrow. They're in the bottom of the six, and uh, Washington has uh, broken this game open with Boston. A five spot in the bottom half of the fifth. Uh, Cabert Ruiz is two for two in that game. Um Let's see, Adams has two hits and, and a couple of runs batted in. And I mentioned Jeter Downs made things happen with a couple of walks, stolen base, has scored a couple of runs. And Patrick Corbin is actually pitching very well today. Six innings, four hits, and just one earned run. He hasn't walked anybody, and he has struck out six. This might be his best performance of the season. Uh, Patrick Corbin on the mound today for the Nats. We'll see if he can stay out there and and keep it rolling, and the Nats could be a fairly hot team when the Phils come to town tomorrow night. So, again, no sports huddle tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday. Uh, take those days off, and then when we get back from that, man, it is charge. It is go time into both the NFL and college football. We will do a lot with that. We did some Virginia, Virginia Tech, a little bit of Richmond uh, this week. We'll do a lot more of that and certainly want to hopscotch around the state. We did some Old Dominion this week uh, with uh, Ted Alexander, who joined us, but we got VMI to talk about and William and Mary and much more on Tech and UVA, uh, certainly, as we as we get ready for the start of the season. As we said, pretty much everybody on the weekend of September 2nd. We don't have any teams, I don't think, in our area that are involved in that week zero when those first games get underway before Labor Day weekend, uh, the last weekend in August. It'll be fun to watch a little meaningful college football at that point, kind of ease us into the start of the season on September 2nd. So all of that coming up uh, next week. So, again, just to repeat myself, nothing tomorrow and nothing Monday and Tuesday. Uh, The rest of the gang will be there, though. Jamie King with the Sports King early in the morning at 7. And uh, Big Al will be back tomorrow and then next week with Sports Phone from 8 to 10 and Matt Joseph's 3 to 4 
with Border to Border. And then, as I said, beginning Wednesday, back with the sports huddle, a smattering of days away pending the travel schedule once the Spiders get going. But for the most part, you can count on us for our local live sports programming as we get into the fall season. Uh, Just checking on the Nats, and they continue to pile it on against the Boston Red Sox this afternoon. A very impressive performance. They are up 8-1 to one now on Boston in the bottom half of the sixth inning, and that's a Red Sox team that is barely staying above the Yankees in the bottom of the American League East. Maybe I'll do a little research. The last time Boston and New York finished fourth and fifth or second to last and last, in the American League or the American League East, you might have to go back to the days before they had divisions to find the time that happened, if it ever did happen, because then you're going back to the time when uh, the Yankees were you know, dominating the American League and Major League Baseball. Uh, Baltimore Orioles with the day off today as well. Uh, they lost two out of three to San Diego out there to end that road trip, but they did a good job when that trip started in Seattle, and they have a two-game lead on Tampa Bay as they get set to start the uh, to start the weekend. So we'll talk much more about that next week as well. Uh, we have a good lineup of guests uh, today. Thank you, Robert Ole, for getting those together and for producing this afternoon as well. Back to his old haunts in the afternoon, uh, coming down a little bit from, you know, the top of the mountain there with Big Al producing in the morning. So appreciate that today, uh, Robert. And he did line up our guests, and they were great today. John Kime from ESPN, ESPN.com. As we talk, Commanders finished up those practices with the Ravens and peeked ahead to their Monday night exhibition game at FedEx against those Baltimore Ravens. Wiley Ballard from the Braves Radio Network joined us here in the 5 o'clock hour, talked all things Braves as they are cruising on their way to their sixth straight National League East title and talked about how they're sizing up for the postseason and then finished it up with Jerry Ratcliffe and talked some Virginia football um, just moments ago. In fact, that he was out there at Virginia's practice waiting for it to finish up and do some interviews and some talk, and you can read more about it at jerryratcliffe.com. All right, that's it. Have yourself a great long weekend. Uh, get a little R&R here. We'll be back at it on Wednesday afternoon. Be the next sports title when I get back with you after the long weekend. Robert Owey, thank you for producing this afternoon. Talk to you after the long weekend next Wednesday. The next sports huddle comes your way 4 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. I'll talk with you then on 1061 ESPN. Hi, we're Comparing Insurance Agency.